0: hi you're listening to the retail perch with Sha Raman and Gary Hawkins we're
1: gonna discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail AI current and upcoming trends and so much more
0: welcome back to another episode of the retail perch now today we're back with some of our favorite guests so they've been on our show before uh, Doug and Brian from retail feedback Group. Uh, hey Doug and Brian how are you guys doing doing well
2: nice to be Good back morning morning
0: when we spoke last you said you have uh, some new updated results to talk about, some surveys to talk about, and I'm hoping that in this show here we can get into some of that stuff. So you know, very excited to talk to you about some of these findings. And you know, we've been spending Gary the last few episodes talking about different things. I mean, tech to wellness to, yeah. and a lot of it is data based. And I guess this is a different type of data that you know I love survey data because it kind of tells you where things are headed. And it, it allows you to make some predictions uh, which is terrific. Uh, so you know Gary you want to start off? I was
1: just going to add to that Chaker you know I think is uh, almost feels like deja vu here right that you know we're back in March again and heading into another shutdown or you know depending on where you are in the country already locked down and in some cases even more so than uh, back earlier this year uh, you know, we're reading about uh, already uh, toilet paper being wiped out again at the growing number of stores, uh, different categories being hit. So it's just a, a matter of time, I think, before we start seeing supply chain issues surfacing again and so on. So I, I think the, the information uh, today is timely and, and uh, should be a great topic.
0: Doug Brian, what's been happening last couple of months in terms of in in your business and your surveys, and how have you changed what you're asking? What a, what a year it's been in terms
2: of consumer perception uh, and and consumer behavior around food shopping. And so, um, when we went out and and did our first uh, survey, the national survey that we we do each year, um, you know, this was in April, and it was obviously height of that first wave of the of the pandemic. And um, we fully understood that, that uh, the results that came back were you know, a result of what was, what was happening at that time in terms of uh, all the safety protocols, all the consumer concerns, of course, all the product shortages, the, the configuration of the stores and the staff, the explosion in e-commerce, all of those things were, were in the mix when we did our first survey. So it was really interesting to see at that point and that, you know, we, we had come on your, your program to talk about some of the findings that we had seen from that research. And then we thought when it was getting to be, I don't know, sort of September, October, we thought, you know, we better do another round of this because it feels like, and Brian was was you know in my ear and 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 a prognosticator for sure, saying feels like we're we may be in for another round of this. So so we decided before that happened in the early October timeframe, we wanted to get another set of data that was a little bit clear of the the height of, of the pandemic, so to speak, before we got into that second wave, where there was this period where. Consumers to some extent, maybe stores to a larger extent, settled into a way of operating in terms of you know, safety and protocols and, and we're getting back in terms of in their service departments and some of the things were starting to sort of click back into place. So we thought, well, let's let's get another read and see how perceptions have changed. And then uh, looks like we may need to get another one uh, if there's a, another wave and more lockdowns and 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 altered behavior and so forth. So that's kind of where we've been. and of course, our clients throughout the year have wanted to know. You know what their customers think in terms of their operation and how well they are. You know their actions have met the needs of their shoppers. So we've been kind of balancing this year between doing consumer research and doing proprietary learning for our clients.
3: And the other thing, what was really interesting this year too, is we did some work with a couple of the different state grocery associations to also look at uh, for for those areas uh, what was going on. So e- even the the state associations were very interested in listening to consumers and and trying to figure out you know, what where are we at and what's going on so that was another aspect of our of our business over the last few months
0: so so what were some of the findings I mean what would you what you guys find is there a change in consumer sentiment and you know perception in terms of shopping
2: yeah I think so I think that there's certainly differences in um, the consumers mindset uh, toward the end of the year in October than there were in in April uh, of course we break up our study into two portions. There is the in-store experience portion and there's the online shopping and e-commerce portion. Uh, and then there's obviously a consumer, you know, sentiment and behavior piece before that. But yeah, in in each of those cases, we wanted to just track the experience, the customer experience, and see, you know, how things change. We definitely noticed in, in April sort of a bottoming out of the of the shopping experience a, a number of fronts, you know, operationally, you know, in terms of price-value perception, um, you know, certainly, you know, items being in stock and, and things like that. Uh, you know, definitely a low point in the consumer research we've done over the past, you know, five, 10 years and then in october things sort of started to bounce back on a variety of fronts both in store and online and we can talk about you know certain elements of that but in a nutshell it didn't get back to where it was understandably prior to our prior to 2020 the whole pandemic but it was certainly i think in a, an important Change in consumer sentiment, not just based on the actual operating conditions, but I think also a reflected a new expectation of what it's like to have a successful, meaningful, positive grocery shopping experience. And again, we can get get into all these things, but yeah, I think it was it was worthwhile to kind of ride that roller coaster and see that second wave of, of finding.
3: You know, some things have changed and and kind of held too. So when you think about the whole stockpiling um, issue, so early on we asked questions about that. We asked those questions again this time around, and we found that you know shoppers are still still engaging and keeping more on hand for longer periods of time. So it didn't like go away and went back to kind of let's shop like we used to. Uh, things like canned and boxed items. You know, 59% of people now say they're keeping a few months or more on hand but only 43% before the pandemic did that. Uh, So we're kind of seeing that across all the different product categories, there's been this lengthening of time of keeping items on hand. So before it was this, now it's that. And I think some of that's going to hold, that's going to create kind of a new expectation of what, (laughs) what's normal to keep in your pantry.
1: Yeah. And sort of related to that guys, what are you seeing around, uh, you know, price, value, the importance of savings uh, and so on, because it it certainly seems like, you know, there's still a a fair amount of economic pain out there. I think that as things lock down, you know, I know different uh, markets around the country, for example, restaurants are being shut down entirely, not only outdoor dining, but now, you know, just closed. So it looks like we're going to have a lot more people back on the unemployment rolls. And I would have to believe there's a lot of focus here on, on price
2: yeah for sure. I think it's, I mean, obviously, there's a couple of different pieces to that. and one is the the price piece. And we did see a lot of comments uh, come in from our surveys, not just the the national ones we did, but also the ones we've done across the country for various companies that we work with, about um concerns relative to pricing and some issues around well, prices aren't what they were or now we're shopping at other places to supplement our shopping here because the prices are sharper or they've got, you know, better sales or better promotions and whatnot. But when we look at the perception of where the grocery store, how the grocery store has performed, like we asked in October, in this recent survey, we asked shoppers about their primary grocery store, if they feel it provides good value for the money they spend there. And on a scale of one to five, so five being, you know, highly, highly agree with that, the average score was only a Hmm. 3.63. And so we know that there's definitely an opportunity. And, and we've seen from past, you know, we've seen what happened in, in 2008 with the last major recession, that, um, you know, some of the hard discounters and the Aldis of the world really were able, and Walmart for sure, really were able to score some big gains because of that factor. And if I had to guess, I think we're kind of, you know, coming into that same play again. Right. And, and not
3: only that, you also have, uh, you know, additional players that have grown Substantially, when you think back to 2008 to now, you know dollar stores, right? So there's been a tremendous growth with that segment, and they're gonna they're well positioned uh, with the addition of food and you know, dollar general markets, those types of things to take advantage of the situation. So the, all the the leadles, the, the the dollar generals, you know, all those types of formats are going to reap a little bit, I think, of of benefit from this current environment. Now the other thing is when you look at we asked some questions about you know, shoppers referring to advertising and sales vehicles, right? Well, we know that there was a lot of cutback on that given supply chain issues in April. You know, in that survey, 55% said they were referring to those, you know, to one or more advertising or sales vehicles. Now that's back up to 68%. But of course, if we get into more disrupted supply chain stuff again, that's going to go back down likely because the product's not available, right? So they can't be advertising it.
0: So, so do you think in, in that kind of a climate, the experience in store matters more than price? And you know, so experience and availability of product is more of bigger importance to shoppers than price.
2: The thing is, even before 2020, that was always the major determinant of overall satisfaction with a, with a shopping trip was did they have everything I, in stock that I that I came in to buy? That was always more than price, more than service. That was always the number one predictor. Of overall satisfaction of a shopping trip. So for sure, Gary. But to your question, Shaker, I mean, I think that they're all important. And it's interesting because when we ask for, when we probe on that question about value and we ask shoppers to describe what it means for you know for their store to exhibit good value or show good value or not, on the other, on the flip side. You know, there are really still two camps, and I think there's, you know, there's a big enough, you know, it's a big enough game for everybody to play. There's, there's the folks that think that they really are looking for value from their club card, you know, from the personalization that uh, that stores show in terms of what I've purchased before and what, you know, what's what's important to my household. And then you get the whole you know, group of, of people that say, yeah, we like, you know, free turkey Fridays or, you know, these promotions that all of the things that you can do that don't necessarily, that are just everyday, be everyday promotions, everyday low prices. And it kind of works both ways. And obviously retailers can, you know, choose their options in terms of how they want to promote themselves. But we get feedback from both camps in terms of what value really means to them.
1: So, so it sounds like, Doug, what you're saying is for those retailers that, that have customer data and have the ability to extend savings on the products relevant to that customer or the products that customer wants to buy, that, that could be a real plus and a real uh, benefit to the retailer here and helping keep those shoppers.
2: Totally, Gary. And, and I think it's an opportunity because that's another question we ask. We tweak that a little bit. We ask the question now. Remember, this is about somebody's the store they shop in most often. So we're asking them, "Your your primary store." We ask them to agree with this statement: "My primary store shows it values me as a customer." So this is different from what we talked about before. You know, shows good value for for the money I spend. This is shows mm-hmm. it values me as a customer, and that average rating was only 3.58 on a scale of one to five. Mm-hmm. So I think what we hear from shoppers is that although We're so far along in our data journey in terms of how we can connect with our customers, there's definitely improvement to show our shoppers that we are connecting with
0: them personally. And I think, Doug, you you mentioned something interesting in one of our earlier conversations, that's the, there's a lowered expectation from shoppers. Right. Uh, What did you mean by that in terms of their experience?
2: We're finding and one of the things that Brian talked about as far as things that haven't changed much since the since the prior research that we did. One rating that hadn't changed really at all is how safe do you feel it is to shop in a supermarket? So we've got like if if 35 percent highly agree that it was safe to shop in a supermarket back in October, sorry, back in April, only 33 percent highly agreed with that statement now. Despite all of the Herculean efforts that stores have made and all of the protocols that are in place and all the things they're doing. And remember when we did the research, this was in October. And this is where we're finding that a lot of retailers, they've sort of adopted these protocols and these things are in place, but the shopper is not connecting with that. They're, they're thinking, well, hmm, back in May, when I handed in a shopping cart, it was being sanitized right away and then put back on the in the area of carts. Now, that's not happening. And in fact, when I go to the area of carts, I don't know whether or not these have been sanitized and how recently. And so that's just one example of the things that maybe retailers need to be doing a better job of communicating, or at least outwardly showing what they're doing. Because as a shopper, I don't see it, or at least in my, it's not in my, my field of view as often. And so I wonder about that. And it it makes me concerned as a shopper about the safety.
0: Actually, you're right, Doug. I mean, I was at a large big box store, Costco, the other day and made a trip out there after a couple of months. And I remember two or three months ago when I went there, there was somebody with a Clorox wipe wiping down the handle and then making sure that people are taking one cart at a time and separated. But this time when I went in, it was... You know, like nothing was happening, right? It was like normal. Uh, there didn't seem to be any personnel trying to govern any of these things. Uh, so it was very, very different. I mean, they normally would be a line outside Costco, six feet apart, making sure that only certain people are in. Yep. This I didn't see much of that. And you well, think gonna, you think retail is growing lazy, or is it a matter of accepting and you're kind of numb to the situation now, or? I
2: think it's it's mostly the latter. And it's not that they're lazy. I mean they're working their tails off and, and the people are, but I think it's just it look, if you're in an environment every day and you own a store or you're you're a manager of a store and you know what's going on and in your mind that's clean and safe, it doesn't occur to you necessarily to think as the shopper would think, well, wait a minute, I haven't had an update from the store about their safety protocols in a while, so I'm not sure. Or, you know, you may be doing this so well that it's just happening as a matter of course. And so I don't see it. It's not in my field of vision. And yet it's happening. And as a store owner or a store manager, you know that. But I think the disconnect is not remembering or not, you know, what, what the shopper sees and, and how that looks to the customer. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important.
3: It's like yeah. anything else with marketing, right? At the end of the day, if you're if you're not communicating what you're doing in a particular, you know, you might have the best quality produce, but and you know that because of how you procure it, but if you're not telling customers, they're not seeing it. Right. And right. it's the same thing with this type of thing. If you're not telling or showing customers what you're doing on a regular basis, it kind of, they, there's a desensitization to it a little right. bit. I think in the customer's mind, they're losing track of the fact that you're even doing it and that can, that can impact the perception.
1: Yeah. Have you tried to correlate any of your research with how the shopper views this whole COVID-19 crisis because you know, as we were talking earlier, we just recently moved to Denver, and there is a noticeable difference in how good share majority of people here in Colorado view this crisis versus, for example, in Southern California. And you you see it just walking down the sidewalk. You know, here relatively few people outside on the sidewalk are wearing a mask. You go to Los Angeles. Everyone is. And good number of people, for example, in California, they are scared to death of this thing. Other people you speak to, yes, it's it's serious. Yes, it is something to be aware of. But the morbidity uh, factor now is, is much, much lower than it was early on. You know, yeah, it's something to be worried about, but I'm not going to let it rule my life. So I'm wondering if any of that factors into some of your findings.
2: Well, I think, well, first of all, we did, we, we have asked the question in this latest round, and I don't know that we've done the analysis on it yet because it's relatively fresh, but we did ask the question as to whether or not you personally knew someone who was seriously impacted by, with COVID-19. You know, just cursor look of the data, just it, it appears as if people that had a more personal connection to the infection were in fact more concerned about the safety of the supermarket mm-hmm. and so forth. That gets us back to the original question you guys asked, which was why do we think that expectations might have gone down in terms of the shopping experience? And it's just for that reason, which is now we hear this from so many customers where we're looking at surveys and the sentiment is, if I can just have an experience where there was no major catastrophe, I felt safe and I was able to get most Of the items I was looking for, that's a win. And that mindset is totally different from where it was a year ago. And I think that is driving the increase across the board in satisfaction scores with the experience because it's this lower. Remember, surveys are just surveys are relative to expectations. They are a subjective number and they always vary based on the mindset of the shopper. It's it's based on my expectation. That's my that's that's my survey rating. So if if you when you understand that we're still not out of the woods by any means in terms of being fully stocked with what the customers want, providing good value for the money, you know, having all the staff in place, the help that I need, and all the fresh departments and all that, and yet we're bouncing back in all the experience ratings. To me, what's the variable there? It says that the expectation is a bit lower.
0: So essentially there's three attributes here. So it looks like there's price, there's availability. And then there's quality of experience, shopping experience, right? And it looks like if the quality is impacted, then you really that becomes the most important attribute, you know. But it seems like in back in April, May, availability trumped everything else, right? As long as it was available, I'm willing to go to the store because I, I need product. And so what you're saying now is that shoppers have reduced their expectation of uh, the experience, and they're like. I'm willing to go to a store as long as they can provide me what I'm looking for. And because there's less communication, like you say, Brian, coming back from the store, their perception is that the store is not doing much, but I'm gonna live with kind of the pain of this lowered expectation and just go there anyway. And like, we haven't changed the stores that we shop at, right, my wife goes to the same store and, and you know, of course, nine times out of the 10, it's because it's the closest one. And, and yet, she comes back from the store, and I've heard in maybe in the last six months more complaints about the store than I have ever had before uh, about, you know, it was too crowded, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. But she continues to go to the store, same store, because the change is at this point too difficult. She's not willing to try online. In fact, she's never bought online. I mean, I'm mean, i looking to see from a personal standpoint, what is it going to take for my wife to switch to online shopping. And I want to kind of use that to kind of segue to the next topic, which is, are you seeing that people are returning to grocery stores, you know, in-store shopping, and then, you know, online kind of dropping off? Is it dropping off to a new normal?
1: So Shaker, if we could, just before we jump into or shift to online, let me go back to what you were just saying uh, around, you know, your experience uh, or Runa's experience shopping. You know, it that may be reflective of the fact that, You know, a a growing number of people are just sort of getting sick of this whole situation because stop and think about the shopping experience we all have today. It is far different than what it was eight or 10 months ago, right? You know, you mentioned you were at Costco recently. Uh, We were there just the other day. There's no sampling, right? right? And and that was one of the big things Costco was known for. You go into the the local supermarket. There's no salad bars. There's no fresh foods out right. that you can serve yourself. So a lot of things have changed that have really impacted that shopping experience. And you know what you're speaking to could be just a general reflection of people are just getting tired of this.
0: In fact, Gary, you're you're right. I mean, I I would have thought that if supermarkets could put out stronger messaging to uh, their shoppers about how they're taking care of the environment and and the experience. I mean, I think hot foods is a huge category because people aren't going to uh, the restaurants as much. They want ready to pick up and eat meals. They go to the supermarket. And I don't understand why uh, supermarkets aren't offering hot foods if they can put enough messaging that will change the perception for shoppers. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, especially, you know, this time of the year. People have probably tried all the recipes and sitting at home. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> sick of cooking. <laughs> exactly. I would say though that
2: from the, from the feedback that we've seen, the data and, and the and the comments, especially a lot of the comments, I think there are a lot of people shaker that if they're not switching stores, they're doing more shopping at at stores that they perceive to be safer. I mean, that's a real concern that we've we've seen from many comments you know i used to shop more often at your store but this is what happened the other day and so now i'm not going to be shopping there as often until you fix that situation whether it's mask related or whether it's you know distancing or whatever that is, or other customers in the store, or vice versa. You know, we're shopping here a lot more often because we used to shop, you know, store XYZ and they're just not taking care of their customers the way you guys are. So we we do see that at least for for now, that's having some impact on the on the physical store that I go to. And of course we know, you know, you look at at online sales and we know that it's certainly having an impact on, on a national level, but just also Anecdotally, I mean, I know that I was just talking with Brian before this call. He's shopping more online now uh, than he ever has, rather than having to go to a, to a physical store at all. And so, you know, we all try to balance that. But I, I do think that base level need that that is front and center in a way that hopefully we won't see that again. You know, where we're, we're really talking about the basics of my safety right. Right. driving yeah. my shop driving my shopping uh, decision we
1: did see early on nearly every supermarket retailer out there today, you know, seen top line sales increases, right? They've certainly seen online sales increases, significant gains, but in the store that's coming from fewer shoppers. I mean, every retailer I've talked to, especially those that have data, you know, yeah, our sales are up, but we got fewer households shopping each week. What are you seeing there? And is that a reflection of I'm going to go to fewer stores to limit my potential exposure and you know I'm going to go to the retailer yes that I feel safe at and that probably has what I want in stock.
3: Yeah, I mean there's definitely a relationship there with you know shopping less frequently and spending more. We continue to see that in the data unlike online where we do see a lot of churning around of trying, you know, two, three, four, five providers. Right. Uh, With with the in-store experience, I think people are kind of, quote unquote, hunkering down on the on the store that can provide for most of their needs,
2: spending more there and going there less often. Which is why the opportunities, having fewer opportunities, it makes each experience, in my opinion, even more important, even more pivotal for those retailers because they're just not getting that same the same number of chances with each with each family, right? And so, um, you know, it kind of raises the stakes on each experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you've got fewer shoppers spending more, you lose any of them. It's gonna start to
0: hurt. So All right, so let's let's move to online. So, what are we what are we looking at uh, online? How how things changed from April, May to October.
3: Well, I mean, I think one of the things from a channel perspective, you know, I think we've seen Walmart continue to to make inroads, you know capturing shoppers. That number has risen. Amazon's bounced back a little bit. Uh, you know, as you remember, they were kind of restricting a lot of their items uh, earlier on in the year and now they're they're trying to get back a little bit into that. but their numbers have gone back up. little supermarkets have gone back down a little from what they were obviously at the at the higher end of this uh, that that number has gone back down. so, you know, Walmart is seemingly, you know, getting some good opportunity out of this and supermarkets have lost a little bit of traction as people have kind of shifted around and they're trying lots of things. mean, so it doesn't mean that people aren't trying. I mean, we saw in our research here that 42% uh, in the last three months are saying that they've, they use one provider, but everybody else is using two, three, four, five, you know, kind of still churning between different providers like we talked about in our last uh, conversation. So uh, there's a lot of things going on that way.
1: Yeah. So, so you, you just mentioned Walmart and Amazon. Do you have any data points around Instacart?
3: We do actually, um, and we know that uh, you know Instacart is a, a sub segment uh, that we capture of the shopping experience in terms of the uh, the data, and there are growth uh, among the Instacart base as well. I mean, we we saw earlier in the year that the thirty six percent of the orders or deliveries were handled by Instacart. And uh, this most recent wave, we saw forty three percent indicating of shoppers indicating that they they were handed, their orders were going through Instacart. So that, that and that number was twenty seven percent in twenty
1: nineteen. Wow. Oh yeah. Well, I I know just speaking of our experience, you know Heather started using Instacart a few weeks ago, and you know one of the reasons is she can shop from Whole Foods or you know King Supers, which is Kroger here, or several other banners so she can get what she wants from the stores. And I think it's it's that, and you know, stuff appears on our doorstep two hours later. It, it's that convenience along with going to the physical store is, is just not an exciting experience anymore, right? right? It, you know it's it's basically utility shopping. You know right. we need this, this, and this, and if it's utility, I'm just gonna place the order online and, and let it show up to the door.
3: That's all true. And Shipt is also, you know, not that we collect and measure that separately, but, you know, Shipt is adding banners too. Lunds and Byerly's in the Twin Cities just uh, came on board with Shipt here in the last week. So, hmm. you know, you, you continue to have Shipt also making some inroads with a variety of retailers, you know, so it creates that opportunity. Well, I want to get some of my basket from Hy-Vee and I want to get some of my basket from target and I want to get some from, you know, so it's, it's kind of the virtualization of the in-store it, yeah, you know, trips right. to different retailers
2: that you can now do online. Right. Right. I mean, I'm personally, that scares me for retailers. In other oh, words, yeah. if, if I hear that, this is all transactional and I'm just, you know, I could, I could get it done anywhere and whoever does it, the, with the least pain for me, you know, they say friction, it's a, it's a buzzword, but however, it's going to you know, happen. The easiest way for me that's how I'm going to do it, as opposed to any of the choice points that I might make for, for one retailer over another. That is a I feel like we're never going to be, you know, if, if I sort of we if we talk in terms of like, you know, the supermarket segment, you're cheaper than, you know, a Walmart. We're never going to be cheaper than doing it, you know, most of the product from Amazon. So then we're really in trouble. And we've been tracking for as long as we've done the study a few years now. The, insta- the levels of satisfaction with the experience across channels. And this is, year is no different. The Instacart fulfilled deliveries have a higher overall satisfaction rate than non-Instacart fulfilled deliveries. Wow. So, you know, everyone can say all they want about, you know, sort of their operating model and it's just churn and burn, but it's it's meeting a need. And again, I, I that's really where I think the experience is.
1: Yeah, so I completely agree with you. I, I mean, there is a massive risk to traditional supermarket operators here if a growing number of shoppers or consumers view it as just transactional stuff. Right? I need these products. What's the I easiest way to get them? Yeah. Right, And I come back to, and you know, I don't know if there's much supermarket retailers can do about it, but their shopping experience has changed. I mean, think about... You know, we talked about Costco. Uh, think about Wegmans, right? You know, you'd go into a Wegmans before, especially on a weekend. And again, sampling demos all over the store. It was exciting. It was educational. You know, I could taste these different things. A lot of it's gone now, and it has become a more transactional experience. It's scary. So
3: the yeah. you know the real question is when when we get past whatever this is. That There needs to be almost an industry-wide uh, campaign to bring people back to the supermarket, right? I mean, I can almost see this, you know, sensory experience kind of a right. focused, you know, advertising campaign as an industry come, you know, come back, right? Yeah. You know, and you got fresh, you got sampling, you got, you know, when well, we can get back to all that, of course. But I mean, it, it, I think that's going to be almost necessary, To really, uh, you know, both as individual retailers and perhaps as an industry, to really bring people back to what what they enjoyed about shopping in the store and remind them that 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 is indeed the reason you come in. It isn't, you know, this isn't just about the transaction. Because otherwise, like we said, you get all these retailers that are on one platform, and I can transact with all of them without doing them much work, right? And it's just a transaction, okay? And it shows up at my door.
0: Right. That's scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the scary part of that is, you know, how much of the shift in behavior is going to become permanent, right? Where even when the day comes, stores can go back to sampling and demos and so on. There's going to be some number of shoppers are going to say, nope, I've learned I'm still too worried, scared. If it's not COVID, it's going to be the next thing. I'm going to stay away from that.
2: Yeah, so I think there's an imperative for the online experience. To become differentiated, just like the in-store experience has been, even before two thousand twenty, Brian and I have been, you know, when we talk with our clients, we say, you know, it's amazing how the how the e-commerce platforms have have essentially all uh, congregated around a very similar. If you think strip everything away, it's a very similar user experience. Okay, it's essentially a big database where I'm looking at pictures of things and seeing various product attributes and item attributes, but it's basically, its I'm just clicking around a big database and, and putting things into my cart. And yet, the in-store experience has so much more. And of course, we're never going to get the, the, the smell and the taste o- online, but there's so much more happening. There's all the shelf adjacencies. There's all the there's all the things that I experience in one part of the store versus another part of the store. And Shaker and I talk a little bit about this online. And that's my fantasy someday is to have some sort of an online component that, mm-hmm. that brings these, these sensory components into it more than everybody's doing right now. I feel like that's going to be the differentiator five years from now. Right. I want to
3: be able to strap on my Oculus Quest and go. go shopping in virtual space and really feel like I'm in the space. We're right. still operating in a 1990s model of of online shopping in, uh, you know, in the year 2020. With that type of thinking, where can we go with this that makes it more than just a transaction?
0: I think there's two ways you can look at it. Either a retailer looks at this and gets scared, or they say, you know, this is an opportunity for me to evolve and disrupt myself. You know, a couple of episodes ago, we had uh, Sterling Hawkins on our show, and we're talking about, you know, run towards discomfort and you got to hunt discomfort. And I think this is a point of discomfort for retailers. And I think the more you can embrace it and then figure out a way to innovate and disrupt yourself, you know, you stand a better chance of coming out of this as a winner. I mean, I want to uh, kind of end this by saying, I think there's something about insights that I think if you look at it in the right perspective, it can give you a lot of ideas and it can be very, it can lead to innovation. And I think sometimes when the survey points to something that's a little depressing maybe towards your industry, I think personally, I think it's a great chance for you to hunker down and say, okay, there's gotta be something here. There's a silver lining here that we can look at and figure out how to innovate and get the shoppers back. And to me, that's the big takeaway. I think the survey is, It's telling you where things may go if you don't change anything, and so you got to look at it and say, if you're a retailer, you got to look at it and say, what what can I change here to change this outcome? Right, right. Gary, any, any? Yeah,
1: no. Every challenge is an opportunity.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but Doug and Ryan, it's been fantastic having you guys here uh, as always, and. you of course you're welcome back to the show anytime. And next time we'll promise you it's either a t-shirt or a hat or you know something, something exciting. You know, how about a nice wine glass? Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook.
1: And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at the retail perch at
0: birdseye Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is
1: Gary signing off.